Welcome to season two of the Testimony Service Podcast, brought to you by Engage. Engage is a brand I started at the end of last year to serve as a reminder for us to engage with God, to actually cultivate a personal relationship with Him, and then to engage others, to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ to those around us. And one of the ways we engage others is through our testimonies. So here is episode 213, directed by Destiny. Hi, my name is Michelle Clark. I am a Christian life purpose coach. I've lived in Birmingham nearly all my life, Birmingham in the UK, as you can probably hear from my accents. But I actually live in a place now called Wolverhampton, which isn't too far away from Birmingham. So um, I'm 40 years old. I turned 40 this year, this January. And I only knew Christ where it's only been four years since I met the Lord. And I was just going about my every day in the world, living for myself, but I wasn't truly happy. I couldn't put a finger on it. I didn't exactly know why. We have four beautiful children and we have one darling angel, which is the testimony that I'm getting onto. Um, And her name was Destiny. And when I'm pregnant, I always like to think of the name beforehand and speak to the bump. And for some reason, we could not think of a name for this baby. And I said to my husband one day, I was about five months, what about destiny? And he said, yeah, I love that destiny. We'll go for destiny. And her middle name was Jade. So the initials DJ. And my husband is a Christian DJ. So we thought, brilliant, DJ. So we went with that. And it was a very difficult pregnancy. Just a lot of things didn't seem quite right. I knew from being pregnant twice prior, she was our third baby. And basically, I started to get really, really unwell. I noticed my feet swelling. But even though I had been pregnant before, and I know that women's feet swell when you are pregnant, I just knew it didn't look right. I was wearing sandals in December. I couldn't get my shoes on. And then with the swelling came pain. And then from the pain, I thought something's definitely not right. It shouldn't be painful. So I took myself to the doctor's and the doctor basically said, no, it's fine. You know, you've been pregnant before. It's just swelling. And I explained that this was completely different. You know, we know our own bodies as women. But he sent me away. He said, no, it's fine. And I actually did say to him, could it be preeclampsia? And he said, no, not at all, because if you did have preeclampsia, you'd have swelling in this part of the foot, this part of the leg. And he sent me away. So my husband, he actually took the afternoon off work because I was so worried. So my husband was there and he took us back home and I was so worried. I couldn't get it out of my mind. I just knew something wasn't quite right with this pregnancy. So anyway, before you know it, Christmas comes. And by now, I've really ballooned up. It's not just normal pregnancy weight. I am really ballooning. I've got it in my face, in my hands, all over my body, my legs. And that Christmas, I didn't really take much pictures with the family. I remember just kind of sitting there watching them all. And it was really strange how I kind of just sat back and looked at them. It's almost like I wanted to remember them. Very, very strange when I look back now how I wasn't in the pictures. And I had a feeling that either myself or my unborn baby would die. I just had a feeling. And it happened where I ended up in hospital two days after Christmas, the 27th, never forget it. And I was in excruciating pain in my stomach. Now, normally when I have any type of pain in the abdomen, I go for a nice, warm, relaxing bath. It normally gets rid of it. 
But these pains wouldn't go away. And they began to get stronger and stronger. And I was wriggling around. I was in so much discomfort. And at this time, we had a six-year-old and a one-year-old to take care of. And it was just unbearable, this pain. And my husband, I remember him coming upstairs and saying, did the bath help? And I told him, no, if anything, I feel worse. And he says to me, but you have to remember, you're pregnant. If you've got such a strong pain and it's not going away, we need to get you to the hospital. I didn't want to go to the hospital. We hadn't long moved to Wolverhampton from Birmingham. I wasn't very equipped with knowing anything about the hospitals in the area or just anything like that. Didn't have much family around. Your family was in Birmingham. But I agreed. He taught me around. He says, look, you're pregnant. Just don't forget that. You need to be seen. So we went to the hospital and we sat in A&E for five hours. Five hours in the accident and emergency. And my husband kept saying to the, the person, the receptionist behind the desk, you know, my, my wife is pregnant. She's not just here because she's sprained her ankle or, you know, she's hurt her arm. She's carrying a baby and she's feeling so unwell. Can you not get someone to see to her? Can she not be bumped up the list? And she kept saying, no, I'm sorry. She's not priority because she's pregnant, which we found very strange. She's not priority. She has to wait. And by this time, I was like literally hunched over in my seat and I was in so much pain. I didn't care. He was watching me. The pain was just unbearable. I couldn't sit still in my seat. And then after that five hours, I remember being called in and they called me to basically take things like weight and all the observations, basically. So they sent me back to my husband. Very quickly, they called me back and they said, OK, right, we need to narrow down a few things because we think you could have preeclampsia. So by now, it was written down as suspected preeclampsia. And at that time, I can't explain the fear that came over me because even though I knew very little about what preeclampsia did to your body, I knew that preeclampsia was a silent killer for pregnant women. So they told me to go and see another doctor. He checked me over and he confirmed that it was preeclampsia. Straight away, that thought came back again. One of us is going to die. I just knew it. They put me in a wheelchair and I'd never been wheeled so fast. By now, my husband's there. The two children are there. Remember, the one-year-old is still in a stroller. So he's flying behind me, trying to keep up as much as he can. He's got my bag. He's got my coat. He's got the two children. He's got the stroller. And he's struggling to keep up. And they're wheeling me down and they're being really, really urgent. And I'm scared by their urgency. And I'm thinking, what's going to happen? What's going to happen to the baby? So they explained that it was preeclampsia. They explained that they um, hooked me up to a drip. They explained exactly what was in a drip. And I also had an infection, which they needed to get rid of. So I was taking it all in. And I thought, okay, because I'm feeling better, the fear kind of didn't leave me, but I was less fearful. Because I thought, okay, well, I'm feeling better now. We're going to get through this. So they wheeled me onto a ward. And then by this time, my husband had to go because he had the two children. And having the infection, I had to be careful with me. So it happened where the children could only come and see me with their dad one hour. Um, I think it was two hours a day, but one hour in the morning, one hour in the evening. And it seemed like eternity. So at the time, we were massive Snapchat fans. And I remember my husband sending me Snapchats of the kids just to perk me up while I was in the hospital. This is like, this is fantastic. So much that my data ran out. I had to keep buying data. <laughs> 
but it kept me going. And um, it was great. You know, I'd have him on the end of the phone while they were listening to Destiny's heartbeat so that he could hear the heartbeat was still strong. And it was fantastic. And then it came to New Year's Eve. And I remember the doctor of all doctors, the one that makes the decisions, came on the ward and she was walking around to all the beds and she was discharging patients. And I was just thinking, oh, please discharge me. I really just want to go home. But because preeclampsia gives you dangerously high blood pressure, where you can go into a fit, you can have a stroke. I couldn't, I couldn't be left. I was literally being woken up in my sleep to be observated on and the observations to be checked over. So it happened where she came to me and I said to her, look, I know what you're going to say. I know my blood pressure is still high. I really miss my family. I've been in here for a week now. Am I able to go home and just see in the new year with them? I promise I'll come back to you. And they said, okay, stick to your care plan. Make sure you're taking what you're supposed to take. Don't eat anything you're not supposed to eat. You can go home for New Year's Eve, but you need to come back tomorrow to have more observations. So I got ready. They took me home. The kids were ecstatic. We couldn't believe it. But I was very much the party pooper. You know, normally we're dancing around New Year's Eve, but I just didn't feel myself. We got a takeout because we were all so tired. My husband was driving back and forth to the hospital. So you can imagine we're all shattered and two kids. Woke up the next morning, took me to the hospital, had my observations. I was still feeling cold. They checked everything over. They actually said that I looked really well. And I thought, brilliant, we're getting somewhere. And I remember somebody in the ladies' bathroom making a comment about how neat my bump was and about how cute I looked as a pregnant woman. And I thought, wow, this this is never the case because when I'm pregnant, I'm pregnant everywhere. Like, I make jokes about it. Even my lips get pregnant. I'm just pregnant all over my body. So when she said that, I thought, mm, I do look a little bit neat, actually. And if we'd had a nice little neat bump like this. So anyway, they called me back in, did more abs. Everything seemed fine. And they were just about to let me go when the one midwife said, can you see the midwives downstairs? I think it's best that, yes, you look okay, but we check the baby. So I'm like, yeah, okay, brilliant, no problem. I called hubby. I'm going to be a bit longer. They need to check destiny. Went downstairs, and there was two lovely midwives taking care of me. Hubby and the kids weren't allowed in, so they waited in the car. And I went in, and they put the jelly on my stomach, and they were there using the scan, and they were looking at each other. And I'm thinking, what's going on here? And then the one said, we can't pick up baby, just one second. Now, this has happened many a times before. Sometimes actually pick up a heartbeat, and it's not even the babies, especially if it's a new midwife. It could be your heartbeat they're getting, and they're not really sure where to position, you know, what they're using. So I said, well, it's fine. I'll wait. I know sometimes you need time to find the heartbeat. And she was struggling and she was looking at the other one and the other one tried. And they said, one second, we just need to go and get a doctor. And at that point, I knew something was up. And I lay there and the doctor came in and he tried. And then he said to me, we're going to put you on a scan. The scan will tell us for definite. So by this time, I thought, hold on a minute. If you tell me what I think you're going to tell me, I can't hear this while I'm alone. I need my husband here. I know the rules of the hospital. I know no children, but I can't go out of this room and tell him his daughter has died. I can't do that. If that's the case, he needs to be with me. And they were saying no. And I was arguing yes. And it was going back and forth. And me being really stubborn, I said, well, you don't scan me. 
And they know that if it's the case where the baby had died inside me, my life is now at risk and that baby needs to come out. So they had to agree. And they said, okay, are you okay if we get a midwife to take your other children into a room? Obviously, we agreed. So hubby came in. They brought the scanning and they started scanning away. And I didn't want to look at the screen, but something said, you know what, just look. Didn't really understand it anyway. Blobs everywhere. And then the doctor said, I'm sorry, there's no heartbeat. And at that point, I'm telling you, I even feel it now when I say our lives have not been the same since. I remember looking over at my husband and it was like a movie. It was like when something happens in a movie, it's really, really over the top and they make it go in slow motion. That's what it looked like. I just remember him sliding down the back of the wall really slowly until he hit the floor. And I remember thinking, this isn't good. Because my husband is like my rock. He's my support. Honestly, like we, we are best friends, not just husband and wife. And he's always been there for me through everything. And when I seen him in that state, it was a state that I'd never seen him in before. So at that time, I'm beginning to get worried about him as well. And what's going to happen now? What's going to become of him? I've never seen him like this. So they noticed that he was in a state. And I remember just saying to the, the sonographer, the doctors, the midwife, oh, okay, yeah, right, that's fine. Because I didn't know what else to say. Obviously, it's not fine, but it was the shock talking, trying to be the strong Michelle. And I never forget when they left the room, me pulling my top down, getting off the bench, going to see my husband, and we just screamed I've never heard myself scream like that. I've never heard him scream like that. We were in bits. We didn't care who heard us on the ward. Everybody else must have known it was a death because the wails, we were literally wailing. And the worst part was we still had to tell our children. And our six-year-old, he was so looking forward to having a sister. Absolutely loved her brother. But what girl doesn't want a sister? So she was so looking forward to seeing Destiny. And they took us into a room and they explained to us, okay, we're going to bring the kids in now. Are you ready? Well, who's ever ready for something like that? So we agreed. They brought the children in and they left us to tell them. Thankfully for us, our one-year-old son didn't understand. And our six-year-old, wow. When they say children are resilient, it's so true. She was literally like, okay, mommy, if it just has to be me and Jackson, then it will just be me and Jackson. And I was like, Wow, because in my head I'm thinking that's not the response. I was ready for her for her to start wailing and have to console her. But the wailing happened when we started to call family and friends, because by now it's January the 1st, and they were calling thinking we're going to say, Happy New Year. So I called my dad first, and I was in bits, and he was like, Oh, Happy New Year. And I was like, no, it's it's not happy for us, Dad. And I explained what happened. And he was like, my gosh. Now, they're all still in Birmingham. It's not far, but they don't drive. So it's about an hour for them. I'm coming. I'm coming straight up. I called my sister. My youngest sister were really close. So she came up with my dad. And as soon as they opened the doors, it was just like, whoa, loads of waiting, loads of noise. They agreed. I say agreed. They offered. And to this day, I thank them so much. They were like, okay you need your husband right now and he needs you. We're taking the children. We're going back to your house. Give us the keys. And they stayed there for three to four days. My dad slept in an armchair. God bless him. My sister stayed there with her own daughter as well. And they watched our kids. Another sister kept coming over to check to make sure they were okay. They were using their own money to buy food, nappies, milk, because we just weren't 
our minds had gone. We just weren't functioning on anything. They were preparing meals for the children, everything, just making sure they were washed, they were clean, everything. Can't thank them enough. And then it happened where it was time to deliver. So they explained to us basically what the procedure was going to be, basically forced my body into false labour. And another sister, one of my elder sisters, came up with one of my elder nieces, who was in her 20s at the time, and they came to see me. But at that point, I was in strong labour. And I remember the look on their faces thinking, this is so weird. Normally at this point, family are rejoicing. A new life has come into the world. But I had to bring a dead baby into the world. And nobody knew how to feel. The pain was exactly the same. But I thank God for the fact that I was able to feel her pass through me. Because after my first daughter, that was so traumatic that I had to have C-sections with all the rest of the children. I would never be able to have a natural birth again. But because Destiny had died very early on in the womb and she was still very small, she was only grams, I was able to have her naturally. And I thank God for that because the fact that I can't hold her and see her alive, I thank him for the fact that I could feel her pass through. But that was our connection. I'll never forget that feeling. So they have to ask you beforehand, do you want to hold the baby? My husband left it up to me and I said no. I said, I, I wouldn't know what to do with her. Like, I've never experienced anything like this. So once she was born, that just went out the window. She was born in her sack. Absolutely amazing. Remember looking down once I pushed her out and she was just there. And my husband just grabbed her. He just grabbed her to his chest. And they took her and they burst the sack and they carefully took her away. And they said, choose some clothes. So they gave her some clothes. Um, now in the UK... I'm not sure if this is a thing anywhere else, but lovely ladies donate their wedding dresses and they make tiny little clothes for deceased babies. So we were able to choose through some lovely dresses. We picked a lovely white ivory dress and they dressed her, they put on a little woolly hat and they brought her to us. And my husband was just all over her. He was holding her, he was kissing her face, he was looking at her fingers, looking at her toes. And I was just like, whoa, I was just like in awe of him. And I was still too scared to do it. The fear came back. But then it's like the mommy kicked in and I was like, give me my baby. Because I knew that if I didn't do it and we buried her without me even touching her or looking at her, I would regret that for the rest of my life. So I took her and I held her and I was so scared to kiss her, but I did it kissed her face obviously she's so cold and it all makes sense as to why I kept feeling cold when I was allowed to go home and um, we just cried and cried and cried and held her and cried and cried some more and they'd take her out to give us a break and they'd bring her back in and we'd cry some more it was a lot of crying going on um, we had um, the priest come in to bless her so she had like a little blessing in the hospital. We had a professional photographer come in, which at the time I felt anger. I kind of felt like a mockery was being made out of the whole situation. Why do you want us to take pictures with our dead baby? And my husband said, you know what? Come on, we can do this. And I thank him for changing my mind on that day because the hospital put together a beautiful book with pictures of us and her. And it's the most precious thing they even put it on a USB in case anything happened to the book. And I don't know what I'll do without that book now. It's there. We don't look at it all the time because it's very upsetting. And she's very underdeveloped to look at. So we didn't show it to her siblings straight away, but they have seen her now. It was just amazing. I'm so glad they did that. Those are our memories forever.
You know, that week going home was horrendous, going back to face the family and saying thank you, definitely being sent off for a post-mortem. It was just really hard. So we thanked the family. They went home. It was just us then, and the silence was deafening. And this is when I started to have the worst panic attacks. Every day I was having panic attacks. I'm on the floor screaming. Right now, I want any drug or any type of alcohol that you can give to me to block out what's going on. Remember, I don't know God at this point, and I can't cope. What's happened? I've had two amazing, wonderful pregnancies, and now this has happened. It was alien to me. I was so ignorant to the fact that a baby can die at any gestation at any time. I just thought once you're over 12 weeks, you're home and dry, you're definitely going to have a baby. I was 23 weeks, by the way, just for, to, to make it clear to everybody. And it was difficult. You know, you're planning what clothes to buy. You're planning to see them alive and hear them laugh and see their smile. And we just didn't get to do any of that. So it was very difficult. And during this time, I just had a strong sense that I needed God. Didn't even know the first thing about God. I'd only gone into a church for christenings, funerals, weddings, but I couldn't cope. No matter what my husband did, my family did. It was a help, but it wasn't the help I needed. I still had that void. And in my head, I just wanted, as I said, drugs or alcohol to numb it. I was having panic attacks every day. I was having tremors. I cried so much that I developed a cyst in my eye. And every time I cried, the cyst would come back up. Or if I was in windy weather, the cyst would come back up. And it was so large, it would cover half of my eye and I couldn't see. I was going through all sorts. It was the worst time of my life. The grieving process is hard. I've never, never lost anybody that close to me. So losing my daughter was just horrendous. And then it was time to plan the funeral. And that, I wish I could tell you more, but it was such a blur. I literally left that to my husband. I couldn't deal with it. I remember going into a small room and just discussing what we wanted for her, songs, things like that. And I just couldn't do it. It was too much for me. It was awful. Um, so the funeral came and I remember crying the night before saying, I don't want to go. My sister came to stay with me. So her and her daughter stayed overnight. There's so much people. I was just a shell. So the day of the funeral came and we were slightly late because I was just dragging my heels and we got there and her tiny coffin was right in front of me. And I remember just throwing myself onto this coffin and just screaming like this was real. This was happening. Got through the funeral, very small, only about a handful of people. I couldn't stand to have too many people around. I actually developed health anxiety. So because she had died in my body, every day I thought I was dying. I thought something was wrong with me. And that's why she died in, in my body. I just developed a weird way of thinking and seeing the world. And it's only until I turned to God that he was able to renew my mind, that I was able to learn that the way that I was thinking was not wrong because I was grieving, but some of my thoughts were totally irrational due to the grief. And I remember watching, uh, I think it was a Joyce Mayer program. Now, at the time, I didn't know who she was, but I just knew that she was a lady of God. And I remember sitting there crying in front of the TV. And what I did, I sent her ministry a message via Facebook. And up until this day, I can't read that message without crying. I've kept it. And I remember saying to them, please help me. I was just crying as I was typing, please help me. 
uh, explain what happened. I've lost my daughter. I can't cope. I really feel like I need the Lord. He's the only one that's going to be able to strengthen me. I need him to see me through. No other person, their help is not helping me. I need God. I was just so erratic and frustrated and all these different emotions. And they must have been able to sense it through the message. And they responded back quite quickly, to be fair. Um, And they sent me a prayer to pray, you know, to be saved. And they said, you know, would you like us to pray for you? They sent me a number where somebody could pray. And I didn't take them upon somebody calling me because I was just so overwhelmed. But I did say that prayer. And I remember saying that prayer in my kitchen while I was cooking for my children and just being so happy that, you know, I'm now saved. But what does that mean? I'm saved. I was just so happy. And um, I said to my husband, okay, right now we're going to church. (laughs) It just happened really quickly. I need to find a church. And I remember going online and finding a church. But it's almost like we were in communication straight away, me and the Lord. And it's like that church wasn't the right one. And he referred me to another church. And I said, no, this is the one. We're going here. My husband had bad past experiences with churches, but he chose to support me through it all. So he came. He said, I'm going to be with you. I'm not leaving you. I'll come to church. The children came. We used to go as a family every Sunday and we loved it. And to cut a long story short, we're no longer with that church. We have moved on to a different church now, but we are so, so happy. And the reason why we switched churches is because it got to the point where the panic attacks started to come back and I felt like I wasn't getting the support in that church. It was almost like if you're a Christian, you shouldn't feel this way. And I was actually told once, if you have Jesus inside of you, why are you still feeling that way? And it really upset me. So we did our research into a lot of different churches and we found an amazing church now who we can call uh, a family. They're not just a church. They're really supportive. And God has just blessed my family like six months after myself getting baptized. So this is my daughter's funeral in the January. We find the church in the February. I get baptized in the March. And then six months later in the September, my husband gets baptized and then 2019, November, getting my dates right, yeah, our eldest daughter got baptised. And it's like, wow, like God is just really working. And even our five-year-old, he loves the Lord. We take it in turns as a family to pray every evening. And all he does, oh, thank you, Lord. Protect us, be there. But he's, he's, oh, he's so innocent. He's so lovely. We love his prayers. And We no longer cry over the fact that we've lost destiny. We see now the reason why we struggle so hard to find her name is because she was the one that was going to direct us to God. She really was going to show us our destiny. She really was going to show us that we had a purpose much greater than we can ever imagine We know a God now who is powerful. We know a God now who does not make mistakes. If it happens and God allows it, there's a reason for it. So we don't cry anymore because we know that if destiny was supposed to be here with us, she would be. If destiny had lived, I would still be in the world just doing me, not having a care for anything else, just doing me. So not that I'm thankful that she died But I'm thankful for the way that God has used what the enemy meant for bad. He's used that. He's turned it around. Most of our family now have come to the Lord. It's amazing through that one circumstance. And there's still a lot of people that don't understand it. I have people saying to me, but 
your daughter died. Like, I don't get how that can make you come to God. But I pray they'll understand one day. I pray they'll understand that their eyes will be opened to see that God works in very, very mysterious ways. We couldn't see it at the time. It took us at least a year or two. But now we see she was called destiny for a reason. And we thank her. And we're in the presence of sorting out a headstone. And we see it as she was like our star. So as they followed the star to get to Jesus, we see it as she was our star leading us to the Lord. So that's going to be a headstone. We're going to have like a star on it. And we're basically going to put that on the headstone. So anyone that visits can see exactly what she did for our family, exactly what happened and how we've now come to know the Lord. And that was the first time the enemy tried to take me out. But very recently, I almost lost my life during the pandemic in June of 2020. I was expecting my last baby. I can no longer have any more children, but we're good with that. We weren't planning anymore. His name is Shiloh, and he ended up in intensive care, and I almost did. My placenta went out of control, and it infiltrated my bladder. Luckily, they realized this from around 19, 20 weeks. They knew that it would be life-threatening, and they was literally preparing for me to lose my life. It was a horrible time. They didn't like telling me, but I had to sign the paperwork and I had to say, look, this is what could be. When my church went into action, there was prayers going up. Everyone was in prayer. My family was in prayer. They were not letting me go. They were not ready for me to go. I had work to do. I knew in myself, God, I have not fulfilled my purpose yet. I'm not ready and I'm not ready to leave my children. Please continue to use me. And I said to the medical staff, God is with us. And they were kind of just looking at me like, uh. I said, God is with us. And I've prayed over this and everyone's prayed over this. And guess what? They've prayed for you too. They've prayed over your hands that this will be a success, that I will come out of this alive. And they smiled and they were like, you know, okay. Anyway, operation day came. It was tough. I felt myself going on the operation table. I screamed out. I wanted to be sick. I turned my head to the side to make sure the vomit went, you know, to the side and not down, back down my throat. They got someone to put me to sleep because I was just kicking out. I could feel myself going. They put me to sleep and they continued with the work. And when I woke up, it was like, thank you, Jesus. I had to go to, it's not intensive care, but it's very much like it. It's a high dependency unit. I was very poorly. Couldn't really swallow, couldn't really move, didn't really know where I was. Kept going into sleep and coming back out of it and back into sleep. It was a horrible time. My stomach, I'd never seen anything like it. I was so traumatized that I had to take a bath with shades on. I couldn't look at myself. The trauma and everything from destiny started to come back. I felt that trauma again, like this pain, this trauma again. But this time was different because I had to remind myself who I am. This time round, I knew that I was a child of God. I don't have to take what the enemy is throwing at me. And I didn't. I fought back. I went into prayer. Everyone prayed for me. And the Lord saw me through again, another horrendous situation. Like he really is my healer, my deliverer, my comforter. He's all of those things. He has just restored me. And if you see my stomach now, it will never be what it was, but it's a lot better than what it was. I went home with a catheter in. 
I couldn't go to the toilet on my own. I had to have a catheter for two weeks. I had to have stents in my kidneys. I didn't even know what stents were. So I had a cesarean. I had bladder surgery. And I had my hysterectomy, so my womb taken out. They also took out one ovary. It was a lot. Up until this day, I haven't really sat down and processed the fact that I no longer have a womb. And I think that's something that I have to look out for the signs because that in itself is kind of like a loss. You know, I'm a female and now I'm wombless. And that's something that I might add to my blog. I don't know. Um, Create a community of women who have had hysterectomies. I'm still, I haven't really thought about it too much because I'm just thinking, do you know what, Lord? You've seen me through, but one step at a time. I can't sing his praises enough. And whenever the enemy tries to come into my head and just tell me lies, I just reply, you know, his praises shall continuously be in my mouth. No matter what you throw at me, I will keep praising the Lord for all he has done. Absolutely love him. Wow, that is an incredible story. And just your outlook on it all, I mean, that's really tough. And even though that brought you to God. That's a hard way to have to be brought. Obviously, like looking back now, you're saying that you're grateful, you know, where you are with God, but oh my goodness. (laughs) That's just, (laughs) wow. Yeah. Yeah. Your smile and your glow. You could definitely see that God came in and just rearranged everything. So that's, that's awesome. Can you talk a little bit about how, okay, when you first came to God, you had gotten that message back from like Joyce Meyers ministry and you said that prayer and you were really excited, like, Oh, I'm saved, but you didn't really know what that meant. So what, what was that like from having all that excitement to kind of coming into learning? Like, okay, what does this mean? And how were you able to kind of start off and then build your relationship with God? Wow. Okay. So at times it was daunting. I'm not going to lie because obviously being a baby Christian, being a new Christian, it's a lot to take in, but I had great Christians around me. And they were giving me scripture. And one of the scriptures that really helped me through was Jeremiah 29, 11. Just knowing that it's his plans and that he has plans for me and they're not to harm me. That kind of settled my, my spirit. Because when you go through something like that, you're very unsettled. It's very traumatic. So that really helped. But going forward to that journey, it was like, I don't know. I feel even though it was daunting at times, I was just excited through it all, to be honest with you, because I really felt, like I said, that we were in communication from that point and that God was just leading me. So I was kind of just following his lead, even from moving from the first church to the second church. We were just following God's lead. And even though my husband wasn't on board straight away, his support also helped. I think it would have been a lot harder if maybe we weren't on the same page. And he didn't agree with the choices that I was making due to, you know, this newfound faith. But I think the fact that he was supportive made it just extremely easy to do. That's awesome. I love that. Mm -hmm. Um, So you were talking about how you had like developed just like this really weird way of thinking and how that was just kind of like manifesting in like different ways. Mm -hmm. And then how when you came to God, you were able to like renew your mind. Can you just talk about a little bit about the process and the importance of like renewing your mind in God? Yeah, Yeah, sure. So basically I went to a lot of counseling in that time. I'm not a stranger to counseling. I have been to counseling before for various different issues um, while growing up, but 
This time around, it was different because I had that warped way of thinking. It was very morbid. Because at the time, I wasn't seeing her as my daughter. It's just the fact that I kept thinking, you've had a dead baby inside you. You've had a dead baby inside you. It was a really warped way of thinking. And once I realized exactly what had happened, you look at the bigger picture. You look at this happens a lot. So that also helps speaking to other mothers who it's happened to. Because when things like this happen... You feel alone and you feel isolated and you feel like it's only happening to you. And that's what the enemy loves. So again, going back to God's word, scripture really helped me to renew my mind. I remember being curled up on the sofa with my earphones in so that I could really hear. Because remember the two younger children, they were playing. And in the daytime when they were off school, I would listen to Psalms over and over again. Um, again, my favorite go-to scriptures, I'd go to them, I'd recite them. And then the pastor of the new church, their care team came to, to see me and they really helped with renewing my mind as well. And they gave me a proclamation to put on my wall. And I used to get up and say that every day. And that really helped as well. It just really helped me to feel the presence of God even more and to just understand how valued I am as God's child and that the enemy can't touch me unless God allows. And if God allows, there's a reason for it. You know, sometimes things are a test. And to see how you are going to come through it or to see how you act. But I would definitely say God's word. It's, it really is medicine. That's the medicine. That's the only medicine that I needed. I was given antidepressants and I was adamant I didn't want to take them. But one night I got really bad and I asked my husband to get them. And I took one and it didn't sit right with my spirit. I didn't feel right at all. So I remember just speaking to a fellow Christian the next morning and saying, oh, what have I done? I actually felt quite guilty. I felt like, why, you know, God's enough. I don't need this in my system. And she explained to me, there's nothing to feel guilty about. Everyone's got different needs. But if you feel that you don't need it anymore, go and speak to a doctor. So I ended up going to a doctor and they told me that I could stop because I've only taken one. And from there, it was literally just being renewed by God's word. That's all I needed. Believe what he says about me and not what others say about me. That was enough. So can you talk a little bit, I guess, about you kind of touched on at least the medicine and how you were able to reach out to someone and they you know, told you like you don't need to feel guilty. Everyone has different needs and things like that. And you had also talked about how someone had said to you something along the lines of like, if you have Jesus, like, why are you still feeling this way? So can you just talk how even if you have Jesus and you're a Christian, it doesn't mean everything's always just, you know, everything's great. Um, so can you just talk about that a little bit? Yeah, sure. It's, it's, again, it's another lie from the enemy. And sometimes we can be blinded by even other Christians. And that's why I like the saying, watch Christ, not Christians. Because we put a lot of pressure on ourselves and we're not perfect. You will see a Christian fall, of course you will, because they are still people and they are still human. And that particular Christian that said that, I don't hold any grudges or malice towards that person. It's a part of my testament, testimony, so obviously I share it. But um, I think it is an important part of it because, like you say, other people might feel that way or might have been spoken to in that way. But my advice to anyone listening is if you have ever been told that, just remember we're not dead yet. You know, we're not with him yet in heaven. We are still here. 
on earth, we are still in our bodies. And while we're in our flesh bodies, we're going to feel all of these different emotions. We're going to come up against trials. They are going to be so much giants that we have to face. But there is nothing that happens in our life that hasn't already happened in the Bible. And that really helps me. So when I'm facing something or my eldest daughter, she's getting to that age now where there's peer pressure and things might be happening at school. I refer her back to God's word because everything that we're going through, the Bible is our manual. It's our manual from our creator and it tells us how we should live and it tells us how to get through circumstances, different situations. So my advice is basically just go by the guidelines that your father has given you. That Christian is still a person. You don't have to agree and take on everything they say. They are still human as you are. You can thank them for their advice or don't be scared to say, I don't agree, but thank you, sister. Thank you, brother. But you don't have to take that on. I call it, I don't accept. You know, if somebody reaches out their hands and gives you something and you don't want it, you won't take it. And it's the same with words. Words are very powerful. You don't have to accept things that are spoken over you. You don't have to accept. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I feel like a lot of times we do place such a high value on people's words, even if they're not our, I understand kind of, you know, family and friends, but sometimes even just, you know, a well-meaning person that says something like it's so easy to take that to heart, but Mm. yeah, like we don't have to accept it. Like, you know, accept what God says about us and accept, you know, his word as our manual. I, I absolutely love that. All right. So you said you're a life coach. Um, so if you want to talk a little bit about that or your website or social media or however anyone can um, reach out to you or connect with you or they just want this joy that you have. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. OK, thank you for the opportunity. Um, what I will say, first and foremost, to anyone that's listening who has gone through a late, they call it late miscarriage or even just a normal miscarriage. Because to me, miscarriage is miscarriage. I don't want any ladies listening to feel that their story is less than mine because they lost their baby so early on. It doesn't matter. A loss is a loss. And women, we're all so excited the minute we see those two lines on the stick that we're going to be a mummy. So a loss is a loss. So you can reach me. Um, I'm Michelle Clark on Facebook. And I know there's various Michelle Clarks. I've actually got a, a page called Made on Purpose. So that is Michelle Clark hyphen made on purpose probably best to find me there drop me a message i don't mind being friends on facebook so i can lead you to my actual uh, profile that's not a problem but what me and my husband decided to do was use what has happened in our life i do believe in using your pain for purpose hence why i'm a christian life purpose coach so what we do aside from that is we now help men and women get through the loss, you know, any type of baby loss. I have a lot of women reaching out to me. I even have hobbies, you know, spat partners, anybody who will come into me and say, you know, help me or can you help them? Or, can you just help our family? And we love it. And we see it as such a blessing that, okay, it's not great what's happened to us, but wow, we're in this position now that we can use that to help other people. And we've created an event in our daughter's name, which can also be found on Facebook. So that's Dancing for Destiny. And the reason why it's dancing is because I used to be a professional dancer. And also the Bible 
speaks about turning your 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 morning into dancing and I feel that's exactly what the Lord has done you know we just dance through it now we're rejoicing Destiny's in a great place we don't have to worry about her I always say it's my children here I have to worry about you know she's fine um so dancing for the letter for destiny you can also find us there but if you just need some clarity in your life you need to simplify your life you're not sure where you're going you're not sure on you know the direction which God is calling you in I'm actually doing free yes free Christian life purpose coaching until June 29th and that date is significant for me because that's the second time the devil tried to take me out when I had my son so I'm coaching for free until June 29th Um, and I'm welcoming new clients and it doesn't matter where you're from because I, I do my coaching over Zoom so you're more than welcome to seek me out. And lastly, I will leave you with my website, which is www.madeonpurpose.co.uk. It's not entirely finished, but there's more than enough for you to go and see if you want to check it out. And I will also be having a, a monthly newsletter, which I'll be sending out to people on the first of every month. Feel free to sign up and get some really good Christian nuggets for your life, for your direction. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Testimony Service Podcast. If you'd like to share your testimony on an upcoming episode, visit www.martinanicole.com slash podcast. If you're listening to this on Apple Podcasts, please leave a review. It'll help get these testimonies to more ears. And if you haven't already, be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast platform so you never miss an episode. We'll be back next Wednesday. So here's a sneak peek for you. Nowadays, I think we need to go back to the basics of who he is. There's a lot of people who put words into his mouth that he never said. And we have to be really careful and cautious about that. And especially if we come from a different denomination or even just our traditions, it all boils down to who he is. And out of that will flow really the truth.